the mission field is wherever you are. Well, we're wrapping up our Cast Your Net series this morning. Uh, we, if you're in Bible study on Sunday mornings, then uh, you got your uh, guide for the 3151 uh, initiative that we're, we're pushing for the rest of October. Um, we're, we'll be talking about that a little bit toward the end of the service. If you're not in Bible study on Sunday mornings, then I'm sure Tom would love to get you that so you know what they're doing in Bible study. Um, he just nodded and then panicked because he probably doesn't have enough. But uh, he, we can get those for you so you know what we've been talking about. Uh, wrapping up Cast Your Net this morning with the sermon Proclaim Righteousness. And that's what our call to do uh, that's what we are called to do, and we're, we're ending this morning with the actual call. Uh, I could have gone to any number of places to, to preach from this morning. Could have gone to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Could have gone to where Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, any number of places, but where we are going this morning is Psalm 40. So if you uh, have your Bibles with you, or if you can turn them on, uh, turn or click to Psalm 40, and we'll get there in just a minute. Through this series, uh, for the month of really the month of September, we first saw the the yearnings of a church with a culture of evangelism. We talked about how we can't give a ten step program to to having a culture of evangelism, but a, a church with a culture of evangelism yearns for certain things, and and we talked about those. Uh, then the, the next Sunday, or that was two Sundays, the next Sunday after those two, we, we saw the basics needed in a church for a culture of evangelism to exist, and we used First Church in Acts chapter 2 to examine what kind of church they were, what they did, how they functioned, what it looked like for them to have church, not just on Sunday, but all week. And we saw what uh, is necessary, what foundation is necessary for a culture of evangelism to exist. Last week we looked at our responsibility as ambassadors to, for Christ. Uh, missionary, uh, or, or uh, uh, emissaries to uh, a foreign kingdom, uh, this place that's not our home, from a kingdom we've never been to. Puts us in a, a bit of a precarious position, yet that's what we are called to. And today, we're going to look at the message that we carry as ambassadors. But we're going to go back to the Old Testament to do it. Uh, I've, I've said a few times here lately, uh, I think particularly on Sunday nights, that when uh, Philip witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, when, when Paul opened the scripture to, to teach of Jesus in the synagogue, when Peter and uh, the folks in the Jerusalem church or the Antioch church got together to worship. The scriptures that they opened, the Bible that they read, was the Old Testament. They didn't read, go to the Gospels and read about Jesus. They didn't read Paul's letters because he hadn't written them yet, uh, or they at very least had not been uh, disseminated throughout the, the world yet. They went to the Old Testament, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Go to the Old Testament to see our message that uh, we proclaim, one uh, where we proclaim righteousness. Read with me Psalm chapter 40. I'm going to read all 17 verses. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, 
making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who, who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness. There's our focal point this morning. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you are our deliverer and that you do not delay to save those that call upon you. This morning as we study your word, may you speak not only to our need to share the gospel, to proclaim righteousness among the people, but also to uh, may you work on hearts here this morning, someone here that has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And may today they hear the proclamation of righteousness the declaration of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and may they respond because you do a mighty work in their lives. Lord, may it be so in our presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David here in this psalm is pointing out God's deliverance. And he talks about a past event and a current event, and he can do so because even in the midst of this recurring need, and maybe a need that comes up not just this time but regularly, he knows that, that God is with him. I, I can trust God in this recurring event or this current need because of God taking care of the last problem. That's David's hope. That's, that's the promise of what God has done in the past and will continue to do in the present and will also do in the future. David's previous deliverance, though, requires him to speak up about it. David cannot be silent about what God has done for him in the past. So he brings it up, and, and in the midst of this current situation, he knows not only must he face the current situation with the promise of the past, but he must declare to those who know the situation he's going through, I have a God who's faithful. I have a God who has saved me in the past, and he will save me again. See, David's deliverance 
wasn't just for David's sake. If you think real hard, you might be able to figure out where I'm going with this message. But just wait till the end in case, you know, you don't, don't think too hard. I don't want anybody to hurt themselves. I'll tell you in the end when I get there. So verses 1 through 3, we have David's personal testimony. We have David telling what God has done. See, God had delivered him from a horrible situation in the past. He doesn't bother telling us what it is, just lets us know that he has been delivered from it. He waited for him, and, and God turned to him, heard his cry, and helped him, we see. He describes in, in, in uh, um, imagery, uh, in, in imaginative detail, uh, what went on, just not in specific detail. He says, he brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay. Now, desolate pit almost always refers to or equates to death, or at the very least, the very brink of death, the very prep precipice of, of not being able to go further. That's what David's talking about here, how, how far God had brought him, or how bad the situation had gotten. So this desolate pit of death, God has brought him from. He set his feet on the rock, making his steps secure. And David says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. When God brings us out of something, when God delivers us, and David knew when God delivers, our natural response should be praise. It should be vocalized. It should be loud. It, it, it should be uh, 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 vigorous how we praise God. That's why uh, some Sunday mornings I, I, I might wonder, are we a church of saved people? Because the singing's not vigorous. The voices aren't loud. Uh, I, I saw a, a, a picture on Facebook that I was told I couldn't share uh, because it was too controversial. But I'm going to say it up here anyway. There have been some folks real loud about people not standing for the national anthem, but they're church folks that won't stand and sing when God saves them. That's a problem. If we're more worried about the national anthem than praising our God. So this morning, if God has done something for you, sing it out. Let us know. Praise Him and let the people around you know that God has saved you. See, David's response was a public witness. It wasn't a private little internal thing saying, well, I'm glad God saved me, but I'm not going to show anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. He knew he had to let people know. It was his personal public testimony that God had delivered him. And then he continues on in verses 4 through 5. And he tells us of God's greatness. He starts out by bridging this last passage with this next one. He says, How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Why is that man happy? Why is that woman happy who has not turned to falsehood but has trusted the truth of God's salvation? He is happy because, verse 5, my Lord, my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. That's why the man is happy, because 
these people over here and those folks over there that would lie to you, that are deceivers, that would tell you God is not real, that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. Those people have nothing on the greatness of our God. They are chaff. They will be burned up, yet our God is eternal and will last forever. God can be counted on. God can be counted on to deliver us. There's no situation from which God cannot bring us back. God is powerful enough to accomplish anything all the way up to and including the very salvation of our souls. When the the men lowered their friend into that house that Jesus was teaching in, in, in Capernaum, and Jesus tells him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And, and nobody says anything, but the Pharisees are thinking, how does this man forgive sins? Jesus tells them, it would be very easy, right? And I'm going to kind of paraphrase or maybe add to a little bit. It'd be easy for me to say, your sins are forgiven and nothing really happened, right? There's no proof. You don't, how can a man, only God can forgive sins. How can a man forgive sins? But to show you that when I say your sins are forgiven, I'm going to prove it by saying, get up and walk and he does he has shown that it's not just this nebulous idea that God forgives sins he has the power to heal cripples he has the the, the power to give sight he has the power to create everything therefore when he says your sins are forgiven they are forgiven indeed God is a powerful is powerful enough to accomplish anything and David knows God is his only hope There's no one that he can depend on. There's nobody he can trust. There's nobody he can go to like his God. And he tells us in this psalm how happy is anyone who trusts in the Lord because he's the one that can do anything and everything. Not people. Not anyone else. So he tells us, David does, his listeners, that in order to praise God, in order to acknowledge what he has done, an outward show is nice, but it is the internal response that is most important. Verses 6 through 8. You don't delight in sacrifice and offering, he says. Not that God had not uh, declared what needed to be done in sacrifice and offering, but we can go all the way back to Saul. And when he sinned against God, Samuel's response to his, to his uh, declaration, wait, I was just sacrificing to God. I was just worshiping. I was just doing what I was told before he was told not to. I was just doing what you said do. Samuel says, obedience is better than sacrifice. These outward shows aren't what's important. It's you doing what you're told to do that is important. Yes, sacrifice and burnt offering, those are good things. But over and over and over in the Old Testament, over and over and over in Paul's Bible, in Peter's Bible, in Jesus' Bible, they say that sacrifice is less important than an obedient heart. Over and over in the uh, minor prophets especially, It said, don't bring me your sacrifices until you repent. Don't bring me your sacrifices until you get your heart right. See, an outward show can be faked. 
You can come in here every Sunday morning. You can sing louder than anybody. You can give more money than anybody and still be doomed to hell because you've never trusted Christ. You can put on an outward show and make people think, wow, they are good Christians. When in fact, you have never turned to your Savior and accepted that free gift. Michael, how in the world? Because we're human. Because that is what we do. Ain't none of us as good today as the smile we put on when we came in that front door. Ain't none of us got a life right now that is so perfect that if we didn't have someone say just the right word to us today, we wouldn't break down into a puddle of tears. And yet we put on these faces, we put on this fake show and say, I've got to be something different from what I am when they go through those doors. No, what we need to bring is honesty because we can fake that outward show. An inward change, David says, is the proof. You don't delight in sacrifices and offering. It, you open up my ears to listen. You, you've got something else to tell me. You, you do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. And then I said, uh, see, I, I've come. It, it's, it, it's written in the scroll about me. I, I delight in your will, my God. I delight in you, is what he's saying. Not in the ritual not in the sacrifices. I delight in you and your instruction is deep within me. You reside here, God. This is your home. Now, those internal responses will show up in an external show. Don't get me wrong about that. But more is called for than just rote public acts. We must internalize the faith that we say we hold and then allow that faith to change our lives. And how does it change our lives? What is the obedience that truly shows our salvation? Well, David lets us know in verses 9 and 10. Tell others. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, God had heard him witness. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. If you have been delivered, you tell people about it. How many of you have been cured, healed, whatever word you want to use, from a ravaging disease? And you kept your mouth shut about it. I don't think a one of us would. We all know people who have been on the brink of death from cancer or lasted a lot longer than we thought they would. Why? Because God chose, for whatever reason, to extend their lives. Were they quiet about that? Uh, you know, I'm getting to live longer, but big whoop. You know, doesn't matter really. No, we proclaim what God has done. God has saved our very souls. Why don't we tell people? We have been cured from the one thing no doctor, no scientist, no pill, no medicine, no nothing can save us from. The one thing that is guaranteed to condemn us, the one thing that is guaranteed to take us, sin, and we don't tell anybody about it. David proclaimed God's righteousness. He told 
what God had done for them. He proclaimed, he yelled it. I can't believe what God's done for me. He got excited about it. And y'all, I know some of y'all aren't emotional. Some of me is not emotional too. I mean, I get it. I, I was mad last night at football. I didn't yell and scream and throw things. I, I, some, JR, did you yell and scream and throw things last night? Okay, I don't believe you. Some of us are that emotional. Some of us aren't. But folks, we have got to get over our lack of emotion when it comes to what Jesus has done in our lives. I mean, that's just plain and simple. I don't want to fake it. I, I don't want to look, people look at me like, well, he is just, he's just nuts. He, that, is, that is so fake. I, I don't want that. But I want the, the passion, the joy to bubble up in me that Jesus has saved me. I want to proclaim that. I want to speak it. Talk to people. Tell people about it. The negative side of it. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it, David says. I let them know what God had done for me. I let them know what was going on in my life. He spoke it. He proclaimed it. He told others. And this is where we would camp out because... This is what we are asking you to do as a church, to proclaim it. This is the commitment we are asking you to make, first through Bible study and now this morning. Will you commit to telling? We are asking you to tell one person this month. One person in 30 days. Don't tell me you don't know any lost people. I don't believe you. Unless you sit here for a few hours a week and you go home and never leave again you know lost people you may go home to a lost person there are lost people in here you know lost people you go to the grocery store you know lost people you eat at restaurants you know lost people your car breaks down you have to get it fixed you know lost people you do anything anywhere anytime you know lost people so pray the other part of that is to pray for three people you know are lost. Pray for three people you think are lost. Pray for God to give you three people to pray for. You start praying that prayer, you'll, you'll meet lost people. I mean, they'll, they'll run into you, maybe literally. Maybe you have a car wreck or something, I don't know. And then, you know what you'll get to do? Instead of getting out and yelling at them, cussing them, you might get to show the love of Christ to somebody. Forgive somebody. Why would you act that way when I just told your car? Because Jesus. Proclaim it. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. The Puritans messed us up. Uh, now, that Puritans is a broad, broad term. Um, but it is uh, the, the, some of the direct lineage... Uh, uh, church lineage of Puritans that have convinced society that faith is a private matter. In one sense, faith is a private matter. I can't save you. Uh, I, it is it's not public in that we cannot be corporately saved. Uh, 
you join this church, you're not saved. Necessarily. Joining this church doesn't save you. Uh, putting your name on any church role, being sprinkled as a child or dunked as an adult, those things don't save you. They're, in that sense, it's not public because we can't do anything. Salvation is internal. Salvation is private like uh, David talked about in the previous passage. But our salvation is not private. If you go to the New Testament, you don't find private Christianity. You don't find people saying, oh, I hope I don't upset my neighbor by being a Christian. You find people that are dying because of their faith and still being public and proclaiming their faith. That is what we find in the New Testament. We are to tell others. We are to proclaim righteousness. We are to not keep our mouth closed. We are not to hide our righteousness. We are to, or God's righteousness rather. We are to speak about God's faithfulness and salvation. We do not conceal his constant love and truth. And the truth is, that if you die without a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you go to hell. That is the truth. And that is the truth we have to tell. Because we see, David goes on, we see that our need is great. Verses 11 and 12. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always Guard me. Why? Because of our great need. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities, my sin has done what? Overtaken me. You're overtaken by sin. Every one of us is overtaken by sin. What does overtaken mean? Overtaken means we lost. Overtaken means that it's won. Overtaken means we are no longer able to do anything about whatever it is that has overtaken us. We are overtaken. Our iniquities have, over to, uh, have, our iniquities have overtaken us. David says, I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my courage leaves me. Our great need is that we can do nothing about our sinfulness. You might can take care of some of your problems. Money buys a lot of things. But money can't buy salvation. Money can't buy spiritual peace. Money can't buy a whole soul. Money can't buy forgiveness. Our great need is our sinfulness. And what David says is deliverance is available for anybody who calls. When you call on God for a deliverance, He grants that wish. He gives deliverance. We have no ability on our own, and our ultimate problem is sin. David is still talking about the message he shares with the assembly. He's still talking about what he has to tell others. He must tell others. He has no choice 
but to tell others. The mission field in that video, as it said, the mission field is a command. We're not given the, 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 the out of, well, I didn't want to make them mad. Well, they're my friends and I want to keep still be friends. Realize how dumb that statement is? They're my friends and they might not want to be friends if I tell them about Jesus. Let me translate for you, that for you into English. I would rather them go to hell and spend eternity apart from me than mess up this temporary relationship right now. I just translated it for you. That's what you're saying when, I'm, when you say, I don't want to tell my friend about Jesus. It might mess up our relationship. I'll let that hang there since nobody agreed with me. I couldn't hear you agree with me, sorry. Amen louder. Raise your hand or something. Thank you. There we go. All right. I, that, I appreciate it. It's, it is hard to hear in here, okay? This is a pretty, pretty big room. Let it out. Good gracious. Thank you. That is our great need. And then David ends verses 13 through 17 with the promise. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry up. Lord, hurry to help me, Lord. And then he, he goes back and talks about the, the, great, the, the need he has personally, temporally, right now. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who just say to me, aha, aha, I knew he was wrong. I knew he was stupid. I knew that God he served wouldn't save them. Let them be appalled because of their shame, because... He knows God will do what he has said he will do. It appears that our need is too great. Some of you think God can't save you. Some of you think your sin is too much to be forgiven. There's a Greek word that expresses how wrong that is, and it's bull. Toro, I think, in Spanish. It's bull. There is nothing you have done that God cannot forgive you for through Jesus Christ. There is no sin that Jesus did not carry on that cross. The one thing you will not be forgiven for is failure to trust Christ in this life. That's it. That's it. That is the only sin you will not be forgiven for. You will not have a second opportunity later on. There's no holding pin. All right, you sure you didn't want to trust Jesus before you died? Because here's your chance. You got one more chance for just a little while, and then the, you know, it expires. Nope. There's nothing like that. You cannot find it in Scripture. Look all you want. It's not there. It is appointed to man to die once, and then the judgment. That's what's next. So it might appear to you that your need is too great. David, the, these people that are coming out to get me, they wish to harm me. He knew better. He knew that if God chose to act, that they would not be victorious over him. The devil will not be victorious over our lives because God chose to act. The question is, will you choose to receive that salvation? That is what God is asking you uh, to do. But our God is greater. 
the next bullet point should say, but our God is greater. He is mighty to save. Reminded me of a song lyric. I didn't write it. He is greater. He is greater than our sin. He's greater than our difficulty. Some of you, it's not your sin that you think God can't forgive. You think it's your situation that God won't act in that's keeping you from coming to him. Let me say that in a more understandable way, or at least try. You believe God can't really love you because he's letting you go through what you're going through. Therefore, he's no God at all if he's going to let me go through this. Read. It never gets better. Throughout life, it does not get better. I mean, I'm just talking about life. I'm just talking about people getting sick and dying. I'm just talking about losing a job and being broke. I'm just talking about uh, uh, relationships not being what you thought they would be. I'm just talking about people actually, uh, actually leaving you and not being your friends or refusing to be your family because you trusted Christ. I'm just talking about those little things that never get better throughout life. It's never Friday. This is the best life you're going to get. This is life. But I would rather take every bad moment with Jesus and be certain of my eternity with him when I die than try to take the bad moments and make them better on my own and fail miserably most likely and not have the guarantee of an eternity with my Lord. That's just me, though. And... You know exactly what God tells us. Though we struggle, God is faithful. Where has God been while this was going on in my life? The same place he was when, he, when it wasn't. On his throne, fully in control, calling you. Using that opportunity to get your attention trying anyway and you rebuff him you turn away from him I don't need that, I don't need you, I don't want you and he says I want you though and he will not stop pursuing I think it was C.S. Lewis he may have been quoting somebody else that called God the hound of heaven never gives up on a trail uh, my grandfather raised beagles and we we rabbit hunted uh all my growing up years and we used his his dogs uh three to six pack six pack no not alcohol dogs a pack of six dogs let me nix that and and and, and they were great uh they were the short-legged beagles not that y'all care but they, that means they were slower than the long-legged beagles great rabbit dogs uh, would be very, very upset when a rabbit would go in a hole. They didn't want to give up the trail. They, they, would, they would sniff around, and, and we're like, we got to go. Let's go jump another one to, to shoot. Not, you know, this, he's gone. Let's, come on, let's, let's go. As a matter of fact, if you killed a rabbit, you had to show them. Like, let them find it, and, and oh, good boy, good girl, you know, congratulate them, all that. They did have one flaw, uh, if they got, they weren't deer dogs, and we didn't use them as such. But 
if they came across a deer trail, they were gone. And rabbits, they run in an area about the size of the sanctuary, just round, 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 round. They'll go out in the, you know, the parking lot, and they'll come back and round, round, round. Deer, they're gone. And they will run for miles. My grandfather would say some, well, he'd get frustrated uh, when they would get on one. And he could tell immediately. I mean, he knew, if, for him, their bark would change. He, he knew they're gone. And we'd have to go chase them. And he lost dogs that way. They would just get too far away, and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't find them. And they, they were gone for good sometimes. They were hounds. They set their nose to a trail. They set their, their, their brain to a task. And you could not knock them off of that trail. Now, let's take that image. That is God pursuing you. That is God chasing you down. You, you think, if I run around in here in this little, this little patch here, if I go there and over here and avoid him this way, I'll get away from him. Or you say, no, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm running headlong as fast as I can in the complete opposite direction, then I'll get away from him. No, the hound of heaven never stops pursuing you. He will not let you go without a fight. And you're fighting him, and you're telling him no, and you are caught up in whatever it is you're caught up in, and you say there's no way, and he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, Absolutely, he can. So your personal testimony. Has Jesus saved you? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if your heart had a hand, it should have gone up right then. Has Jesus saved you? Then you have a personal testimony. Just like David began, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he came. Your testimony is, I was lost in sin, and he saved me. That's your testimony. Oh, I don't have a very good testimony. What do you mean? You were going to hell, and now you're not. That's a good testimony. Well, he didn't save me from anything. Only from every sin ever. Only from an eternity separated from him. You have a testimony. It doesn't matter that it doesn't take you through the gutter or through back alleys on drugs or through prostitution or anything else. All that matters is you were a sinner lost and going to hell and now you're not. There is your testimony. I waited patient for the, patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry for help. There is your testimony. But... Your testimony shows not your greatness, but it shows God's greatness. He is able to do what we can't. I could not save myself. My iniquities, later on, David said, have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. They're more than the hairs on my head, and my courage leaves me. I could not do anything about it, but I knew the one who could. This morning in this place, you are hearing about the one who can believer you need to tell people about the one who can they're going to tell you he can't and all you can do is tell them he can and tell them about your testimony tell them about God's greatness to do what they could not do and then we see the internal response with outward results 
Here's what Jesus did for me. God is greater than our sin, and you can do nothing to earn that. You, you don't need to be unsinful enough. You don't need to lay down those things before you can come to Jesus. I'll come to church as soon as I get this straightened up in my life. I'll trust Christ as soon, as soon as I stop doing this. No, Jesus does the work. It is an internal change, an internal response with outward results. Jesus does the work. You do the trusting. That is, does this sound like a gospel presentation to you? I hope it does. And then, because of that eternal response, without a results, David says, tell the message, tell others, proclaim righteousness. Believer, you are saved to share salvation. You are not saved for any other purpose. Give God glory, I'll give you that one, and share it. That's your purpose. Salvation wasn't something just for you. If you had earned it, I might say, okay, yeah, that's yours. God might have said, all right, sure, keep it. No, that's fine. You earned it. But you didn't. It was given. And you're going to hoard the gift that is for everybody? Proclaim righteousness. Now, folks, this isn't sharing morals. This isn't trying to get uh, people to be nicer before they go to hell. That's what we want because it makes our lives easier. Boy, if we could just get some people to straighten up a little bit so that, uh, so that you know, everything will be good until I die, then I get to go to heaven. That'd be nice. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's what a lot of us think the church is supposed to be about. We have a lot of responsibilities to bring orders to society, to, bring, to be salt and light. Uh, that, that means a lot more than just flavoring. We are supposed to preserve society. But our goal, our purpose, is not to make a more moral society so things are more comfortable for us until we get to heaven. That is not our purpose. We need to commit to praying for three lost people this month to proclaim righteousness to them and commit to sharing, to proclaiming the righteousness with one person this month. See, we can't be righteous to proclaim righteousness, if you take that to mean we're supposed to make people better, we can't make them righteous. How many people are righteous, according to the Bible? None. There are none righteous, not one. So what kind of righteousness is he talking about? Y'all need to fix yourselves. Y'all need to straighten up. Turn that music down and get off my lawn. You sound like Instead, we need to proclaim the righteousness of Christ. Your sins will not overtake you. Your iniquities, though they be more than the numbers of hair on your head, they will not overcome you. That is the righteousness we need to proclaim. Folks, the need is overwhelming. Jesus said the field's white with harvest. I'm telling you, the need is overwhelming. There are lost people everywhere. You pray for God to show you lost people. If you pray for him to open your eyes, your heart will break at the need. I promise you. Because he will do it. And you will see pain and hurting and lostness like you have never seen. 
and you will be overcome with it. Folks, I'm speaking from experience. This isn't an everyday thing for me. This isn't an always, boy, I've just got this good spiritual eyes. My, my Jesus goggles are always on, and my heart is always yearning for the salvation of every, everybody I see. But when it happens, and it doesn't happen enough, when it happens, it is nearly overwhelming to see the lostness, to know that I have the cure, and I will not share it. Salvation is promised. Anybody can receive it. There is no one too far from God to be saved. This week, we lost an icon. He wasn't a good icon. But he was an icon. Hugh Hefner died at the age of 91. There's no one person that has done more to debase and degrade society than Hugh Hefner. He practically invented, no, he invented modern pornography. We've always had pornography. I mean, that's, it's on cave drawings. But he invented modern pornography. When you think of a lost person, when you think of, uh, of, 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 being completely engrossed and entrapped in sin, his might be a name that you would come up with. But you know what else needs to come up when you come up with, when you think of his name? Created in the image of God, loved by God, and not so far that he could not have been saved. Up to the point that he died. I, there's no indication that he made any decision for Christ. I know he was witness to. Saw this week that Lee Strobel, case for Christ, had an opportunity and he shared the gospel with Hugh Hefner. He heard. He knew. Whether he believed or not, really, for our purposes this morning, does not matter. The fact is, he could have been saved. You are not too far. You are not too sinful. You are not too lost. You are not too broken. Jesus cannot put you back together. That is the promise. So God is holy and just. He loves you. But he will not put up with your sin. He will not accept your sin. He must punish your sin. And we are willfully sinful and fallen. We choose to do it. We choose to reject him. Believers, even we choose to reject his calling. We would choose to uh, not live outwardly what is truly an inward reality. We choose it. And without Christ, we are destined for everlasting torment and judgment. That is our end as unregenerate unsaved sinners but Jesus Christ the perfect son of God who took our place on the cross took my punishment but not just my punishment but he also took my sin on the cross dying there for everyone rose three days later to prove he had defeated not just death or not just sin but death 
I talked about the guy let down through the ceiling. Your sins are forgiven, to, but to prove that I can forgive your sins, get up and walk. See, the first thing was easy to say. The second one was hard to do. But both of them are true because I'm Jesus and you're not. When he died on the cross, he said, I'm taking your sins and I'm offering you forgiveness. But just in case you think I'm just another guy, just somebody else, just a good teacher, got caught up bad with the government and then sort of had to be executed because of things I said. Just in case you think that's who I am, boom, three days later, I'm back, y'all. Sin's dead. Death is dead. I'm alive, and you can be too. That is the Jesus that we serve. But you must repent. You must turn to Christ. It's done, it's over, it's, 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 a, it's a fixed reality, but you must accept it. You must place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him and living for him. Will you do that this morning? I'm not sure I could have been clearer about the gospel today. I, don't, I, I, I preached the gospel, then I shared the gospel. I mean, I, I don't, there it is. But believers... If you walk out of here and think, boy, somebody in that room needed to hear this message, you got it wrong because you needed to hear this message. This gospel is for everyone. Believers, will you take the message? But this morning, unbeliever, will you receive the message? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you save us. Thank you that you entrust us with the gospel. Lord, forgive us that we have not shared like we should. Forgive us that we have not been the ambassadors we should have. Lord, may we proclaim righteousness to the nations, to everyone. Lord, work in our hearts a change that cannot be done by anything but you, so that we may be bold and faithful in sharing the gospel. Lord, move in this place this morning. If there's one here who does not has not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. May today be their day of salvation. May they take that step, turn, repent of their sin, trust Jesus, and give their lives to you, Lord. That is our prayer this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So how should you respond today? Should you accept Christ? Do you need to accept Christ? Do you need to be baptized? Maybe you've accepted Christ. This is something you've been working on in your own life for few days, few weeks, few months, but today you want to come forward and say, Michael, this is what I've done. This, walking forward is not your public profession, that is, so maybe you want to be baptized. Next Sunday, we're having our uh, discovery class where you can learn about being a church member, learn a little bit more about what it is to be a Christian. You have to do that before we'll baptize you, before you can be a member of our church. We want to know that you understand salvation, and you understand some basics about our, uh, our beliefs here, so maybe you want to come to that. Maybe you just need to pray about your three people this morning. Maybe you need to pray about the one you know you need to witness to. Whatever your decision is this morning, let's stand, let's sing. If I can pray for you, I will. Let's do business with God today.